Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a multi-earphones award-winning audiobook narrator and coach who just so happens to be a citizen in both the U.S. and Canada. Erin Moon, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we could work out the time. Uh, it turns out that you're in part of, of Canada. Or wait, are you in the U.S. right now or Canada? No, I'm in Canada right now. I'm you not, are in not Canada. on the West okay. Coast, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. All right, so you're on the uh, on the Pacific side. I'm I'm glad you're not in Newfoundland or someplace over <laughs> far on the East Coast that would make it more difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Being in Tucson, it's only an hour at this point. We were actually on the same clock up until last weekend. Yeah. Oh God, I hope we do that soon. <laughs> yeah, I... I love Tucson, by the way. Oh, you've been here. Yeah, such a great town. I love it too. We we weren't completely sure when we moved here, but we were fairly sure. And after we moved here, it was great. And after being here a year, I realized daylight saving time is just stupid. Oh gosh, it really. <laughs> I mean, and I come from farming people and there's not a farmer alive that says, whatever you all decide about what a clock says has nothing to do with how we do our lives. And it never has. Yeah. And it never will. I believe so, that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. We're actually voting. I think it's like California, it's like the whole Pacific side is actually voting soon to potentially get rid of it. They have to do it based on commerce or something. That's the mm. latest rumor I've heard. Yeah, I, I believe it. Business. <laughs> well, in any case, I'm glad we could work this out on the timing, no matter which country you're in. Since you are in a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight, Erin? So usually I would be having a scotch. Um, often uh, something from the north is my preference. I've got a nice deep scotch um, pull at home, but I am on the wagon this month. I'm doing a sober November, so uh, I am having glorious Vancouver water. You're um, you're two months early. Don't most people do that in January? Yeah, they do, but I think that January's hard enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot going on in January that you have to uh, have to be mindful about. So I, I totally yeah. get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so so Northern Scotch. What do you normally drink? I'm a big Talisker girl. Ah, um, I've been you... to Sky. I've been to the distillery, and I also love uh, Balvenie. I've got a 16 year Balvenie that I uh, is one of the best scotches I've ever had. But I got a distiller's blend when I was in Sky uh, from Talisker, and it's this gorgeous all oak casks. It's got a nice little bit of smoke because I I like just that little bit of smoke, but not like I'm licking a brick of peat a little bit <laughs> like I a thought, log of woolen i i um, thought that talisker I, was was an isla scotch that was super peaty maybe i'm thinking of somebody else it is it's got a decent amount of peat but it is not a log of woolen level of peat. okay so right. they do and and depending on what it is and how they're finishing it and what casks they put it in um it's definitely on the smokier side but i always think of talisker as a smokier scotch as opposed to just a pure peaty scotch like okay. there's something about the taste of it that for me, it's like just that right amount of, of smoke, but the Balvenie has a titch of smoke, but is a little bit more well-balanced overall. Yeah. But it's I, another Highland Scotch. I agree. Is the 16 year just a 16 year or is it in a special cask? I'm trying to think of 
because I finished the bottle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, once my uh, bottles are gone, to, I have no idea what they said. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what it is. Uh, I don't think it's cherry finished or anything like that because from the color that I remember, I just remember it being like the 12 is gorgeous, but the 16 is a treat. It's mm. an absolute treat. I have not had a uh, 16 from Belvenia. I'm, I'm trying to think if it's Belvenia that does the uh, Caribbean cask. Is that one of theirs? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been to that distillery. I've been to Delmore and I've been so on both both coasts, both highlands. So I've been to Delmore, which is a real, that's like a, to me, it's like a dessert scotch. It's a very sweet scotch mm. just north of Aberdeen. And then uh, Sky at the Talisker Distillery are the I, two distilleries I've been to there. I remember liking uh, Delmore. So based on everything you said, I'm going to have to get a bottle of Talisker. I was really thinking that it was super heavy smoke. Um, yeah. but, and I've, I've currently got a couple of Isla scotches that are really smoky and it's the yeah. kind of thing that I really like that really infrequently. And yeah. so yeah. I, I rarely drink Isla scotch. And so I've got like a, a 20 year old and a, mm. I've got a, I've got an Ardbeg. I think it's a 10 year old and I've got, nice. I think I've got another one. I just happen to get like two or three, um, yeah. for different reasons. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, I got a lot of this stuff right now. Um, so yeah. when, when I finally run those down, I will definitely uh, give Talisker a chance and, and see how it compares to the smokier ones I've had. Yeah, and I don't know if they sell it here. It might be kind of hard, or, you know, anywhere mm -hmm. um, in North America. It might be hard to find, but they do have one um, that is finished in either port or cherry casks. Mm. And uh, it takes a little bit of that, that smoky edge down, mm -hmm. and it's actually... Oh, the name of it is one of the cities on on Sky that so, I can't remember offhand. I love the uh, the sherry finish casks uh, mm -hmm. that I, that I've gotten recently, uh, and I also well totally different, but um, I really mm -hmm. do like the the ones that that give it just a tiny little bit of extra that doesn't make it sweet. It's not like yeah. it's a blend with port, but yeah. um, but it just gives it this this nice little hint. Um, I just I really like those. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And it's interesting, like over the years of me learning more and more about it and also just spending more time in Scotland as well. And it, I just, there's something about just the whole experience of it that yeah, I can't wait to you kind of grow into, I feel like the more you learn, just like wine or any, yep. anything like that, where you, you learn more and more about it and you're all of a sudden your appreciation of it and you're kind of training your palate. So I also just love the whole like learning about something like that, learning to about my palate. <laughs> totally agree. I, I did not drink what I used to call brown liquor until about five or six <laughs> years ago, actually. Yeah. And, um, and then once I started, it was like, well, and then once I really started learning about it and tasting yeah. different things, I was like, oh, this makes a difference. Yeah. Um, one of the sherry casks, f cask finishes that I really like is uh, Glen Morangy Quinta Ruban. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Yes, so, I've had that. It's beautiful. Yeah, good stuff. Another well, really well-balanced one. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would totally agree. Um, well, I'm, I'm not having scotch, but it's been a great conversation. I love talking about scotch. <laughs> uh, tonight, I'm, I'm going with a gin cocktail, a uh, white Negroni. Uh, 
first time I had a, a regular Negroni, I absolutely hated it. I, uh, <laughs> in fact, I, I drank half of it and then dumped it down the drain, and that is just something <laughs> I do not do. Um, yeah. And then I thought, at you know, taste change, so I'll try another one. So I had another one, and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. And then when I had another one after that, I thought, I like this. This is a good drink. <laughs> so I tried a white Negroni recently, and I didn't love it. Uh, I tried. Mm-hmm. I decided to make one tonight. And once again, I don't love it, but this time I, I went with a different recipe. Negronis are typically three par, uh, one part of three different things. Mm-hmm. This one, they changed up the the um, the quantities, and I thought I would like it more because it's heavier on the gin and lighter yeah. on the Suze. And the Suze is a gentian liqueur, which has a very different... It's liqueur. bitter. Yeah, you've, yeah so you've had it. Yeah, it's quite bitter, it's, and it, it kind of dries out your tongue sometimes. And it's not just the bitterness. It's like it's grassy or something. It's yeah. it's a very interesting um, yeah. flavor, but it's kind of it can be overpowering. So I thought, I'm going to like this more. And actually, even though it's gin-forward, I don't think I like it more. So I think <laughs> what I'm going to do next time is go back to the, to the equal parts and see what I think of that and give it a third yeah. try. And if I don't like it at that point, eh, the hell with it. So, yeah, then you're out. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is okay. I don't hate it, but it's definitely, uh, I definitely have to tinker with the recipe a little. Yeah. Find your cocktail. Exactly. I mean, nothing wrong with saying, look, a drink is supposed to have this much of this and that much of that, but if I change it this way, I like it more, so drink it that way. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming into the speakeasy. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Ding. All (laughs) right. So you are in BC currently. Have you always been up in Canada one way or another? No, I haven't actually. So I I was born and raised here. Uh, I was born in Alberta, so one province over um, in Calgary. And then I went to, I kind of worked my way north from there. Um, So I went to college in Red Deer and then university, a conservatory acting program in, uh, in Edmonton. And then I fell in love and moved to New York City and lived there for 13 years. Ah, and then you fell in love for performing reasons? Um, well, fell in love with a boy at a Shakespeare festival in Colorado. Got it. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Colorado shakes. Following the love. And, and we, yeah. And we just kind of did the, like, do we move to Toronto or do we move to New York? And it was a no brainer. We both loved New York and he, he had done his undergrad there. Um, and so we moved pretty much, I mean, I was, I, I think I went home to do a gig in Saskatchewan and then we, oh, we, we toured around Ireland for like wow. six weeks, tried to figure out how the heck we were going to pull off me getting to the U.S. because I didn't have dual citizenship at that point. And the, the, um, when we were in Colorado and realized it was more than a summer fling, we went to the immigration office and they basically said I had to be a, a doctor, a superstar, <laughs> or invest like over a million dollars in the American economy. And I was like, so um, you did that last one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Being obviously. an actor. I mean, what's yeah. the problem? Cause I, I mean, I told you I come from farming. Folks, right? so, <laughs> they're always loaded. Um, and so we, I remember we cried and we were just so upset. We we're like, how the hell are we going to do it? And then one day he called immigration and they, and he referred to me as his fiance, and I remember being like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just met you two months ago. Um, and and they said, oh, we'll just do a fiance visa. And so we talked and we were like, okay, do we just gamble that this is going to be a forever thing? Or like, what do we do? And we decided to apply for the fiance visa, which buys you time. You get like 
the application process takes time. And then it's like three months once you are approved that you have to get married in. And then you can start the process of applying for a green card. But while you're applying for the green card, you can work in the U.S. Ah. So we did that whole thing. That whole process took less. We got married less than a year after we had met, about a, a month shy of a year. And I was not that kind of person. Neither was he. We we were like, this is a, this is a, woohoo, total crap <laughs> game. Let's go. Um, and, uh, and luckily it really worked out. Um, nice. and then, yeah. And so I lived in New York for, uh, 13 years. Um, unfortunately I, uh, I did lose him, uh, to cancer. Um, it'll be a decade ago now oh, in December. Um, two years before I left New York. So I stuck around for a couple of years trying to figure out what the hell life was anymore. Sure, yeah. And uh, moved and then moved to be near my sister, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life as well. So and, he was and one and where was that? Was another. Yeah. And so now I live in Vancouver and it's freaking gorgeous here. Ah, so so that was when um you moved to Vancouver. Yeah. Seven years ago. Seven years. Okay. Quite yeah. I, I had to look up Calgary on the map because when you said one province over, I thought, wow, that's um, that's probably right north of here. Calgary is almost due north yeah. of, uh, yeah. of Tucson. And and my late husband actually grew up in Arizona. He grew up in Scottsdale uh, outside of Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, he did shows there and stuff. So that's why I know, I know Arizona quite well. I've lived there for a while myself. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix is huge. I, a lot of people don't realize it's like, oh I think it's gosh. like the fifth or sixth largest metro area in the country. Yeah. Um, and it's like a thousand cities in one. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all these little satellites, right? And they around. all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tucson's well, got a lot of personality. I mean, it does. Yeah. Phoenix does too, but it's definitely a sprawling suburban area. Yeah. Tu yeah. I think Tucson has definitely more personality. Not, oh I mean, boy. Phoenix is fun. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get into a Phoenix Tucson fight, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Tucson's great. So. We like both. We yeah. like both. <laughs> and Flagstaff is great too. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your husband, but I'm Thank glad you. that everything worked out at the time to where uh, you could move to someplace that ended up being a good move for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it was, it was time. I, I realized that the longevity of New York for me wasn't going to be there for, it wasn't where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And I was mid thirties mm. and obviously had been through and was going through and, you know, continue to hold, um, a, a big trauma and a lot of, uh, a lot of little traumas and sure. along the way. And also just the city itself, I felt being a, being a kid who grew up like outside for the whole summer and hiking and skiing and being in nature and jumping in lakes and, I found as much of that as I could living in New York City, mm -hmm. but I just, there was something about that level of hustle and everything that I was like, I don't think that this is sustainable. And that was actually even before he got sick. So we were looking at leaving the city mm. before that. And so it was a natural progression definitely to come out here where I, you know, I, 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 downgraded by six million people. <laughs> that was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and it smells like cedar and mountains and ocean mm. and cherry blossoms and nice. it's just so verdant here. Yeah, yeah. So it was good, good for my soul. Well, I get that about New York. I've been there, I don't know, three, four, five, six times in my life. I don't remember now. Mm. And every time I'm just exhausted by the time I leave. <laughs> and I know it's, it's perfect for some people. I yeah, dated, dated yeah. a woman 
25, 30 years ago, who lived in San Francisco, which I thought mm-hmm. at the time, yeah, that was too much for me. I Crazy grew up stuff, in the suburbs yeah. in L.A. And it was just like, wow, I mean, this is this is cool, but uh. and yeah. um, And she ended up moving to New York. She's still there. We're still good yeah. friends. And she, I, I can't imagine her living any place other than a big city like that. So yeah. for some people, it is absolutely perfect. But it, yeah. I've, it I've, was for me for a real long time. I had a deep love affair with New York, like deep, deep, deep. Um, and then it just, the relationship changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over that, time, like sometimes. relationships do. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. So, um, so where'd you go to school? Uh, so I went to a school in a small city called Red Deer, Alberta, which was a theater studies program, like a two year program. And uh. then I went to a conservatory, uh, training program, which is kind of not entirely dissimilar to like the Juilliard school where there's a small amount. There's only 12, 12 people that were in my class. You had to get done all your academic prerequisites before you could even get into the program. Wow. 12. Um, yeah. And then, and then it was a three year conservatory program with those 12 people. And we kind of had like our set of teachers and stuff. Um, and it's, it, at the time, there was no, I think maybe once every four years, they would do an MFA in acting in Canada at York. But basically, there was no MFA in acting in Canada when I was going to school. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it was just it's not the way our university system worked. Hmm. So there was um, the National Theatre School in Montreal, which was also, they. I think they chose, chose maybe 16 instead of 12. There was like George Brown University and Studio 68 out in um, Vancouver, and that was kind of it because our population is a tenth of the population of the United States. So right, right. everything is going to be very comparable or in that or it's going to be different in that way. Right? Right, right. So we had like those four were kind of the top schools when I went to school. Um, and U of A was the only one where I could get a bachelor's. And that for me, I was like, if I was like, I want to go to the National Theater School if I can, where you got only a certificate at that time, um, or U of A, because at least with U of A, I can not only get conservatory training, but I can actually get a degree. It's it's so uh, hard for me to hear U of A living here in Tucson and, uh, yeah. and, and recognizing what it is that you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, University of Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the provincial, like kind of like the state school. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you, so you've been in performance for quite a while. Yeah. My whole life. It's always been what I wanted to do. It was that or a marine biologist, like a lot of kids. Well, there's not (laughs) much difference there. Dolphins and manatees or stage. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. What a a choice. You decided the water was too cold up there? I guess so. I guess so. I don't know. I think it was really like the fallback plan was marine biologist. Yeah. Yeah. And this acting but, stuff doesn't work out. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. I think I saw Shirley Temple when I was a little kid and thought that that looked so fun. And it was really like what I was drawn toward and what I like liked to see. And I sang a lot and like I was in choirs and I always, always just, I wanted to do plays. That's cool. So, so is that pretty much what you focused on was, um, straight plays? Yeah. 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 So that was my, the training program that I'm in, we have definitely like singing classes and dance classes, but it was, it was a classical theater training program, much like the MFAs, like eight, 
friends that I know from NYU and ACT and um, and this Juilliard school and like other professional training programs mm-hmm. that set up almost exactly like those MFAs where, you know, you kind of dive in and get really dirty in your first year, then learn a bunch of technique and the classics in your second year and then put it all together in a performance year and like do a, a an audition the show for kind of all the artistic directors and all mm. that kind of stuff. So similar, very, what I learned when I moved down to New York, um, how similar they were, it was set up to an MFA program. Yeah. So any, any favorites when it comes to being on stage? Oh, oh gosh, I've done, I, I mean, I love doing Shakespeare because it's to me one of the greatest challenges. Well, so then what's um, your favorite Shakespeare? Even that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God, that's so hard. It's so hard. I, you know what I love? I love pants rolls. I'm a girl. I'm like, I've always loved pants rolls. I will always love pants rolls. They're some of the best written roles that he had. And I think I, I'm a character ingenue. Mm. So I also always went, well, not an ingenue anymore. Um, I was a character ingenue. And so I leaned into all those pants roles. I love them. Like I, I think Vi- some of the speeches that Viola gets to say, some of the most incredible poetry written. In Twelfth Night? Yeah. 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 Her and Portia also. I love Twelfth Night. I, I did uh, Malvolio in Twelfth Night. And that's, that still oh, is, is one, one of my, uh, one of my favorite, favorite yeah. roles. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. and what about modern? You do any more modern plays? Modern. So I've been doing more and more. Like as I've come away from that character ingenue life, um, and uh, am maturating into my my middle my middle years more, mm-hmm. um, on stage. Uh, I I've been able to do a little bit more. And right now, and I think since I moved here. Um, and a little bit before definitely going through, I came away from, of course, doing theater while my late husband was sick, um, and after, but I now, what I want to do is theater that challenges theater Mm. that, uh, challenges social, um, norms that challenges, um, white supremacy and dumb and dominant culture and, um, definitely anything to do with women's rights. So I'm really, really interested in plays that don't solve, but elicit discussion. And so now, and especially because I'm doing, you know, audiobooks is really my main, my main gig. I want, if I'm going to do theater, I really, for me, it's like, I I auditioned for Dracula, like every freaking year in New York and Christmas Carol every year in New York. And they're great and they're awesome and they have impact and their stories are important. Mm -hmm. However, for me at this point in my life, I'm less interested in doing um, plays like that, and I'm much more interested in doing plays that challenge. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, my my interests definitely shifted um, the more theater I did as well, and now not doing any. But um, yeah. back back when I was, I it, it's an interesting evolution. If if you are mm-hmm. an actor, um, some people you know find something they like early on and stick with it their whole life yeah. uh, other people shift and my my interests definitely shifted and mm-hmm. the, the farther i got the the edgier um i i was yeah. in- interested in so totally yeah. totally get that well, well so and when... it's an incredible privilege to even be able to make that choice like i didn't mm-hmm. oh, i yeah. couldn't make that choice when i was 24 i was like just i was like i just want to work i just yeah. want to work i just want to work and truth be told 
that's all I've ever wanted in my life as an actor is to be a working actor. To just act, yeah. Yeah, and so I have been for quite a while now and, um, like, for over a decade. And so that, that to me is, like, whatever capacity that comes to me in, it's about telling story and it's about finding and connecting to empathy and compassion within my my fellow beings. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so whatever whatever is the vehicle, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So so it has been a while. So it sounds like the um, the fallback of marine biology is kind of like falling pretty far <laughs> back at this point. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say I've been, uh, I, I graduated when I was 24, and that was 20 years ago. Mm. So it's been 20 years. Yeah. Of, well, so so you mentioned audiobooks, and I know that that is mm-hmm. your main focus at this point. When when mm-hmm. did you get into voiceover work of any kind? Was it straight into audiobooks, or did you start? Did you find out about the the possibility of doing voiceover mm. work, and then it sort of shifted into audiobooks? Right. So I actually have, I have a kind of a funky entrance into this world. Um, so. At, like you do when you're an actor in New York, you spend a lot of time doing the job that is not the job you want to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was like temping. I didn't like to serve. It didn't serve me. So serve food um, or drinks. So I temped in New York as my survival job. Temp in between like theater office gigs. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like um, admin assistant kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was good because I could like leave on my lunch break and do my auditions and come back. And I wasn't pissing anyone off if I booked a gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a friend of mine, uh, she said she was working at Recorded Books. And I was like, ooh, what's that? That sounds like fun. I'm like many people have said, and many people will continue to say, I like books. <laughs> <laughs> I like reading books. Yeah. How do I do that? And she was like, well, she was like, simmer down. She was an MFA actor herself. And she said, I work in the post-production and direction side of it. Um, and they don't always love us to cross over because I think they also knew that if we crossed over, we weren't going to look back. Mm. Um, but they loved actors to be in their um, staff to because we know literature and we know actors and we know acting. Mm-hmm. And that combination made us really great editors proofers, engineers, I mean, maybe middling to low engineers, but we had enough on staff that it didn't matter. No kidding. So Um, you started in the post-production side. Yes. So I, for four and a half years, so I started in this business in 2005 with recorded books and it was like a savior. I loved working there. It was just, it was great. And then we, uh, and then I, and I did everything. So mostly directed um, and then edited and mastered books. So I did all the post-production side. I had to learn how to do that. Wow. That's, um, that's unusual. I've, I've yeah. talked to other people where that's the case, but it is a little unusual to start on that side. Yeah. Well, and I got to like run sessions with George Goodall. Oh, like, wow. I would be with George, like it would, they would assign you for the week with George. And I was like, I would be with George for the week. And it was like heaven on freaking earth. Like, yeah. uh, you don't stop George Goodell. He doesn't stop. He just goes. <laughs> he's amazing. What and has he, back what has he done? Something like 1,500 books at this point? Oh, yeah. That I think he's is, over 17. Yeah, that man yeah. is amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's a beautiful man. He is a really, really nice man. Yeah. Um, and so I, that was like heaven. But it was like Robin Miles and Su- uh, Susan Spain and uh, Suzanne Torin. And it was just everybody. Like, it was the people who who 
made this industry what it is and mm-hmm. continue to be the kings and queens of this world were who I got to work with on the daily and be with and listen to and learn from like Barbara Rosenblatt. Like mm, I, yeah. I remember mastering her books and working with her and she actually did a play with friends of mine. And so it was just like this really, really special thing to be able to learn from the best. Uh, That's very and, cool. And, then and when... to learn the editing end. So to understand, you know, what it, what it means to be on the other end of an actor. <laughs> yeah. I, I love outsourcing my stuff now because yes. I don't have to do it myself and I know what the people I hire have to go through. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, always say to actors, like maybe don't edit your own books. Cause I always love it. Like when the book gets another set of ears before it gets out there. Mm-hmm. But I always say, if you're interested in that part, edit other people's books yeah, learn, for a while. And then you can always drop that. Do. Yeah. 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 Cause it's such a good learning experience. It's like what you do in a theater program. You learn the lights, you learn the, you learn the costumes, you learn set deck, like you do all the different things so mm-hmm. that you can be better at your job by being more respectful and caring to the whole team that goes into creating storytelling. Exactly. You you yeah. don't have the actors, you don't have a play, but you don't have a crew, you don't have a play either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. You, you need all of those. I mean, in, there are rare exceptions, but but for the most part, yeah. it's it's a definitely a collaborative effort. A lot of a lot of people are involved and all of those people are important. So yeah. um so that's really cool. Well, then how did you make the crossover? So I, <laughs> I finally got up the guts to, to tell Claudia to put together a demo and to give it to Claudia. And I'd worked with Claudia for four and a half years by that point. She knew I was an actor. And that year she'd actually seen me in a show off Broadway that I did with my late husband. And he, I'd gotten him in the door. So he'd done a couple of books. And I, I put my demo on her desk and she's like, oh, great. She was like, I was just going to talk to you. We started a maple leaf imprint and we're doing this book of this uh, prairie writer called um, named Miriam Tate. She's an incredible prairie uh, writer in Canada. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And then all I could think is, shit, I've been working for years to get rid of any sort of Canadianism. <laughs> I had to like call my parents and be like, how do we talk? And just, I just talked to my parents for a long, long time because they were like the perfect kind of just the right amount of um, of pronunciations because Canadian, it's not, it's Canadian general isn't really an accent. There's just very specific words that are said differently. Mm-hmm. And there are like general sounds, but for any American who's talked to a Canadian where you're like, you're talking along and then they'll say something and you go, where are you from, Minnesota? What's happening? Where are you from? I don't know. I, that sounded weird to me. And then you kind of put it together like maybe they're Canadian. Mm. That's exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah. So and that's how I I got uh, my first book. And then Gabra Zachman, who was a dear friend of mine through yoga, actually, um, Isn't that funny how those connections int- happen outside oh of the audiobook world? <laughs> the, gi- the, the gigantic small city that yeah, is New York, exactly. 8 million people, <laughs> otherwise known as two. Um, <laughs> yeah. she, she introduced me to Audible and then I never looked back. So I, within, I think it was within six months, I wasn't doing any of the direction or post-production with recorded books anymore. And I was just being an audiobook narrator and theater and film and stuff like that in New York. That's, that's very cool. I, I totally understand going and talking to your parents to try to get back to that. I (laughs) I know that after I moved to the Bay area from LA, 
I would work with people. And when I would go home for the weekend or a week or, you know, back to L.A. and then mm. come back, they would laugh at me. And I said, well, what's what are you talking about? And they said, well, you just sound like an L.A. boy now. It's just so apparent. Oh and I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm and talking exactly subtle. the same way. They're yeah. like, no, you're not. <laughs> So yeah, there are these little subtleties that uh, that that are definitely there, and you pick up on them the more you yeah. the more you interact. So well, well that, and that's I love cool. That we're like we're like a sum of our experiences, right? Mm-hmm. All of us. Like that's the thing. Sometimes audiobook narrators can get really caught up in like this exact regionalism and this exact regionalism, and I'm like, you know what? We're a sum of a lot of different places. Our parental influences, our cultural influences, of uh, the places we've lived that. You know, like you do you, boo. As the story's the thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's uh, that, that's very cool. So that's that's a very that's a very different story from what I usually mm-hmm. hear about how people got into the uh, the acting side. So yeah. when you got into narrating more full time, you were still in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I was in. I, that was two thousand nine, and I didn't leave till two thousand fourteen. So were you recording at home at that point? That was pretty early. No, early in nobody the home was. studio. Yeah. I think Simon Vance or like no, it wasn't Simon Preble. Preble had made. I remember he had made. He had made a home studio in upstate, and it was like this newer thing. Like I think people were doing it, but kind of. It wasn't. It wasn't done very often. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody was going to studio, and I remember. I remember some rebel. I remember it because everybody was talking about. Oh yeah, like he's got a home studio now, and oh, that's really interesting. And and so it. When I left in 2014, a couple of um, people, like engineers, had spun off from recorded books and Audible, and they were starting these smaller um, audiobook production companies because audiobooks were starting to grow. So it was like just starting to like, really intensely tick up. And uh, I think ACX had come on board at that point. And, um, and so in that, once uh, narrators started to see, oh, you can like build this thing and you can you can even potentially self-record. Mm-hmm. It started to happen more and more. And I actually went to Mike Charzik at Audible and I said, Mike, I'm moving. And it, I'm scared shitless that I'm going to lose all these things that have sustained my heart, my soul, my my pocketbook for all these years. And he said, oh, Aaron, just build a home studio. <laughs> and I was like, Mike, what are you talking about? And Kat was there too. And they both were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the mic you get. This is the thing. I got a friend engineer from Recorded Books to help me set it all up. I had a friend, a friend's husband from here who is a car- amazing carpenter, help build me a box, <laughs> freestanding box, according to a few kind of things I'd um, I'd thought of with um, Rob Granis and Chris at a brick shop, who are past colleagues from Recorded Books, mm-hmm. and basically all of these beautiful souls that I had met, which is completely an example of how lovely and supportive the audiobook uh, world is yeah. um supported me and they 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 knew also i think uh, they came from a place of deep heart because they had gone through what i'd gone through with me mm. um and they really supported me and helped me get it up and running and i had a booth built a month after i was here and haven't looked back wow that's great i haven't been in studio in seven years no kidding. So, so the whole time. Yeah. So that was my next question: was um, whether or not you 
record at home at this point, which I assumed you do since almost everybody does and whether or not yeah. there was any uh, in studio. So, um, so you are a dual citizen, but at this point mm-hmm. you would say you're only living in Canada. Yeah, but I, but I'm, yeah, I live in Canada. So I'm a, I, this is where I am. And then I, until Armageddon happened, um, I was coming down, (laughs) I was coming down to the States quite a bit. I was, I was down in mostly in New York about every six weeks to two months. Wow. That is quite a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm, To see friends, family, to do work, um, in the yoga world, actually, um, sometimes audio related, but usually not because I wasn't there for long enough. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty much here. And and so you do everything at home at this point. Well, that's cool. Do yeah. you have any difficulty since I'm sure that most or at least a lot of your clients are mm. in the U.S.? Is that yeah. difficult at all? No. That's good. It's that's nice. Good. U.S. and Canadian, they have a tax, um, like a treaty agreement. Mm. And so if I'm, I'm American, according to the Americans and I'm Canadian, according to the Canadians. So Uh, everybody's, everybody's happy and there's reciprocal tax laws and I have to file in both places, but I just have to pay the highest bidder, which is Canada because we have a lot of social programs. Um, and, and everybody's, everybody's happy. Like nobody cares who's hiring me between the two countries because I'm a dual citizen. Yeah. 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 It's very helpful. That's good. So what do you work on mostly? I know that uh, on mm. Audible, you've got a couple hundred, but I also know that you have a, I believe that you have a pseudonym. I do. Um, and I don't mind outing her. Her name's Felicity Monroe. Okay. So I'm one of the few who do, I do out myself. No, that's um, not, I, there, maybe it is a few. I'm not sure. I, I, um, yeah. it seems to me that, that the people I talk to, it has been kind of half and half. Some people don't care. Yeah. Some people do. Maybe, maybe Publicly. it is, maybe it is the minority, but, um, mm-hmm. regardless. So you have a lot under a pseudonym as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, between Felicity and I, we're somewhere past 350 now. So quite, quite, um, quite a few books. What do you do yeah. mostly? I know that that's for, I assume that's yeah. for romance and erotica. Uh, yeah, it is. And and always no comment on the the quality of the work. It's purely, purely about the fact that it really is its own beast. Sure. And I do a lot of YA and I started out doing more YA work. And I really believed, even though like my own compass is I'm very sex positive and all of that, I don't believe it's my choice to make that choice for a parent Mm -hmm. to educate their child about sex. And so I created Felicity because I was like, you know what? I don't want a parent to say, oh yeah, you can listen to anything Aaron does. And then it's like, hot times on a Friday night. Right, right. Um, and, and so that's why Felicity was created and, and why I keep her um, in the romance world. So you do um, a lot of romance and YA. Anything else that uh, that's kind yeah. of a, a favorite so, or that you tend to get cast for a lot? Yes, yeah, so I've been loving um, fantasy. I oh. love... I love imagining that I, I am a mate, like I can wield magic basically. Mm. (laughs) And so, (laughs) so I, that's what I do. And I, I've been doing a lot of it in, in under Aaron and Felicity. Um, and I think if I were to say like my absolutely favorite genre is, is YA. Mm. I, I adore, I adore it. I think it's my home run zone. Um, and then the other is is fantasy, either romance or regular. 
I've I've heard that about YA from so many. I think yeah. mostly female. I'm not I'm not sure, but um, mm. from so many narrators about how great YA is, and yeah. and it always just makes me kind of shake my head because I know that it's very unlikely I will ever get cast for a <laughs> YA title, and that's fine. Um, you know, know know what you can do, know what your strengths yeah. are. That's that's cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I have heard that from many people that they just love YA. That a lot of the YA writing is really good. Yeah. Um, and they also just really enjoy doing it. Yeah. And I think the editing, you know, because it's young readers, I do think that there is an extra amount of attention paid to the editing. Mm. Yeah. Because I've, I mean, I've read spectacular, um, you know, lit, lit fic. I mean, literary fiction is like a dream. Um, it's always so be- beautiful to get those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and they're incredibly well edited as well. But it just there's a lot that a lot of cost that goes into creating a book and an author has to take on a lot of that a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with YA, there's just that extra bit of money spent on and time spent on editing. So I think some of it is that some of it is maybe also just feeding feeding that young person within us mm-hmm. and and wanting them to to have that strong coming of age and that strong um, recovering from trauma or that strong growth um, and to put that into the world in hopes that our youth can hear that and be heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, that's very cool. Um, so is there anything that you would uh, turn down if somebody came to you and mm-hmm. said they wanted you to narrate it? Anything that you won't narrate? Yeah, I do. Um, so I don't do dubcon, which is dubious consent. Um, mm, I don't right. do anything that dubcon. Promote... That's cool. I'm so glad you said that. I've never uh, never heard I that term. I just looked it up yesterday. Yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Okay, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. I actually looked up the term yesterday because I was like, "What's dubcon?" I've seen dubcon <laughs> a lot of places. Because I'll say, I don't do anything that um, promotes any, uh, non-consent. Mm-hmm. Um, in, and I also don't, uh, do anything that promotes, uh, hate basically. Mm. So anything again that promotes, um, against the BIPOC community or the LBGTQSIA community, um, or women, anything that actually promotes it. If it's something that is discussed as a thing and same with consent, if it's something that comes up in a book, because it's something that is being learned and gotten over. So as long as it's not promoting it as an okay way to be, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll record it. But if it's, it's promoting essentially hate or dominant culture, um, as the right way, then I'm, I won't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other than that, you're pretty good with, uh, with all the stuff in the romance, the various romance subgenres. Yeah, totally. All right. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so when did you start helping other narrators by coaching? Um, so I was trying to figure this out. So I did the first workshop. So Brick Shop uh, was started by two friends of mine that I'd worked with at Recorded Books, uh, Chris and Rob. And they uh, we did a workshop together. So it was the two of them and me um, in, I want to say, like 2012, maybe. It was one of... One of the first two years they were open, maybe 2013, and we did a work. We did two different workshops uh, where it was like a weekend kind of intensive, and by the end of it, we would uh, do demos. And then when I moved here, I kind of took a 
I got my, you know, it took me a while just to get myself established in a new place. Mm-hmm. And then I started coaching more and more a couple years after I moved here. So 2016. And then I, I was asked by a VO school here to, um, to create a voiceover program. So I've written the curriculum for that. I've, I've gotten them teachers for it. Um, I've written a whole booklet for it. And so that I've done. Wow, that's cool. What is, what is that? So it's on the mic training, which is out of Vancouver. And they just started working, um, out of Toronto as well. And, and so I kind of recruited, I recruited a couple teachers eventually. Like at first it was just me. And then eventually I recruited a couple of teachers and then they audited my class. And then I've also created the curriculum for both their part-time kind of like adult learning after after work class. Mm-hmm. And they actually started a year ago, they started a full-time credited, accredited professional training program. That's like a 10 month wow. um, program. Yeah. For VO and it's all of VO. So I just do a four weeker. It's like I do 16 hours in that. Um, and, and so I, I also wrote the curriculum for that. Yeah. Very cool. And, then, so- and I started doing library events and stuff like that as well. So yeah. it sounds like the, um, that, that school, what, uh, what was it on the mic? Mm-hmm. On the on mic, the mic so, training. So it sounds like that is not just audiobook, but that is it's all, everything. all aspects of voiceover. Yeah. And yeah. do you, so the things that you do there, is it audiobook specific, uh, aside from yeah. coming up I with only, the curriculum? So I only coach audiobooks and I only, and I only teach and I, at, like I've taught at VO conferences and panel, I've been on a lot of panels and stuff and everything is audiobook oriented. Cause that's really what I know. Right. I know acting <laughs> cause I did a lot of training right. <laughs> and I know audiobooks. And um, but, but other VO I don't, um, Although I just signed with a commercial audio VO um, agent this week. Oh, that's great. So I'm going to start uh, hopefully going out for commercial stuff. And I'm so excited. Up, up there in the U.S.? Yeah, up here. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that... what I, that's what I teach because that's what I know. And I'm, I'm a big believer, like, really teach what you know. Yeah. 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 No, I think that uh, the world would be a better place if more people felt that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's cool. So what, how do you... What, uh, Describe your coaching practice when it comes to audiobooks. Mm. What do you, what do you focus on? How do you, how do you organize things? Um, what's, mm-hmm. how does it typically work? So it just depends on the needs of the individual. So I work with newbies. I work with more established narrators, and I work with authors as well. Oh. Um, yeah, I wish more authors got coaching before they did their own books. Oh, um, wouldn't that be great for all of us narrators? Well, yeah. Well, and just because. <laughs> For the for the author too, like it's nerve wracking as hell to do something like that. Yeah, and you want to do well by your book. And I mean, hey, if an author can do their own like biography, or they can do their own memoir, they can do their own nonfic. It's great. Not everybody can, <laughs> you know. Like that needs to just be put in place, and you need to be able to reflect with somebody. And a coach can help you with that reflection. Mm-hmm. And a coach can help you do the best you possibly can for your book if your voice, and especially if they have like larger followings, if your voice is the important voice to be heard on that book. Um, I'm a big supporter of that. Um, and and so it just depends what people come to me with. If they're new or newer, say they're new to acting, acting entirely, um, or newer, I usually start people on nonfiction. Um, and then we progress to fiction when I feel that what we're starting to learn and understand is 
how to feel. <laughs> mm. um, and one of my big focuses with with actors and narrators as a whole is how do you mine the text and how do you look at the whole story crafting that's happening here? Um, and much in that same way as theater school, like what is the tactic or objective that the author is presenting as a means to connect mm -hmm. with whomever is listening or um, or reading that book? And so our job becomes to interpret that and to look at the larger story crafting and then the story and feeling and where is that person's headspace at um, on the you know section level, the the chapter level, the paragraph level, and the sentence level of, you know, is this exposition? Is this kind of just gentle? Or do you have an opinion? Do you, is this, how do you feel about what you're saying? Um, and how much of that is in the larger picture important to share at this moment? So is that a very internal feeling or is that a, a feeling that is reaching slightly toward the person you are trying to affect? whomever that may be, another character in the story or in a nonfiction, um, whoever is your ideal audience, whoever is that person that you are, you felt such a deep need to write that book to connect to. Mm -hmm. Like nobody writes a book like, oh, you know, I'm just going to do cares. something that's one of the hardest <laughs> things to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's cool. So it sounds like you don't have a set curriculum. It's, it's more just, uh, it all depends on what the, uh, potential student brings to yeah. the table. And once you find that out, then you can kind of tailor everything that way. Yeah, exactly. It really, cause you know, if I, if I, if I try to shove you and this is, it comes a lot from the yogic philosophy that I've studied for a long time and just my own growth as a human being, you know, there's not a single person who is the same in this world. And so our needs fundamentally shift, um, according to the day, the time of our life and everything. So I need to, I believe my job as a coach, cause it is a coach is to coach that person into where they are right now, where they could be right now and where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my job is to look at the individual and to try to help them find themselves in that in that way. <laughs> Sounds great. I have uh, <laughs> there was one point when I was doing some some acting coaching in San Francisco and then I mm. stopped because I kind of went back into the high tech world. And then I decided, you know what, um, I can afford this. I'm going to go back to that coaching uh, because. Yeah. Not not because I think that I'm going to get the next best role or anything, because yeah. I'm not really focusing on that right now, but because it was good for me. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it helped me as a person yes. to be in this acting class. And I realize my acting coach is not a therapist, is mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. is, he's not a psychologist. And yet it was good for me. I think I learned yeah. things about myself and about other people. It just, it was good. So, uh, so I, I well, like that, that aspect. That's a like so I did a um, a two hundred hour uh, training in positive psychology, so a certification in positive psychology. And one of the the coaching part of that training, one of the things that they talk about, like as a coach is not meant to um, bring up things from the past and work you through those things of the past. That is what a psychologist does. That is what a psychiatrist does. That's their that's their lane, right? Talk therapy in that way. Mm -hmm. A coach is. That, that means that the person who is coming to you as a coach is motivated for growth. That your job as a coach is not to get someone motivated for, for growth, that they are coming to you because they are motivated for growth. Mm. And so your job is to take someone 
from there forward. So it's it's in that listening of like, what are your goals? Where where do you want to progress to? And how are you feeling? Because also it's like, this is nerve wracking. This is vulnerable, vulnerable work. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to hold the space for that vulnerability and to Im- imbue someone with the support to be their best selves, the reflection back to be their best selves and to give them a few skills and things to work on so that they may, and it's all there, it's got to be motivated from them. Mm-hmm. I don't set up like, okay, you're going to do four sessions with me. That has got to be on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in that. Not everybody is, and I totally get that. Right. But right. I'm like, I will be your accountability partner. I say, I'll be your accountability partner if you need me to be. I will email you if you need me to be to say, do you want to do a coaching this month? However, <laughs> otherwise... It's on you. Right. You got to be the one coming to me to say, yeah, I want to do the next thing um, for all the financial and other reasons, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm here for support. That's my job. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love yeah. that, uh, that view of coaching. So you, um, you're coaching, you're narrating a uh, mm-hmm. little bit of stage work. It sounds like not much at this point. That's not your focus. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you do when you're not doing all the, uh, all the acty stuff? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, <laughs> I I'm a gardener. I love to garden. I love getting my hands in the dirt. Um, and I I do beach volleyball now because I live by a beach. No kidding, that's cool. Oh my god, it's the best. <laughs> um, I I bike uh, everywhere, so I don't have a car. I just bike everywhere here, which is just amazing wow. for my my mental space and my physical body. Um. I go, I see, I've become a great theater patron, which is so wonderful. It's so nice to be the the person who's getting to support. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, I get to see my nephews because they live here. I sing, I sing bluegrass with some friends. No and, kidding. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love bluegrass. Yeah, I'm, it's my I'm, it's my main jam lately. I'm still yeah. a beginner after about, geez, what is it, seven or eight years now? Beginner, maybe yeah. even novice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I bought a banjo about, <laughs> nice. um, yeah, six or seven years ago. And uh, every once in a while, I kind of get back into it. And I, I love yeah. good bluegrass. Right? Yeah, I love it because I've always loved singing in really tight harmony. So mm, I've yeah. sang like in backup for bands and I've sang in choirs and harmony has always been like the way that I hear music. And so I love the the tightness of the bluegrass harmony. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Cool, cool stuff. I had no idea. Yeah. All, and I that's... hike because like oh, every... Yeah person who lives out here hikes, I think. Because it's almost required in that area, uh-huh. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I got a SUP board last year. So in 2020, I got a SUP board and I can go, I can walk. I literally walk five minutes to the beach, blow up my SUP board and go for a SUP now. Okay. Sorry. I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, a stand up paddleboard. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so you, yeah, you're definitely out in nature a lot. Trying. Yeah, I try. It seems to me that where you're living is pr- is probably more conducive to that than where <laughs> I live. Because if I got rid of my car and only biked, you I would, would I would waste away. Yeah, I, I would I would die. <laughs> you would. <laughs> you would. would you would actually. Not not that I've used my car that much in the past eighteen months, but um, yeah. it's uh, yeah, you just can't do it here in the winter. 
but yeah. not, not for most of the year. <laughs> yeah, although I have to say, I'm kind of, now that I'm acclimated to Tucson, I mean, since you're familiar with the climate here, mm-hmm. um, after I was here for three or four years, I'm telling you, when it gets below 80, I'm like, oh, I got to put a sweatshirt on. I'm, yep. I'm starting to get cold at that point. <laughs> yeah, I remember being there. I was there in, I think, uh, December through February, and I remember how cold the nights get in the desert. Yeah. And even the days, like it's beautiful blue skies and the sun is out, but you're like, it's 70 and I'm wearing a sweater. Yeah. No, it's yeah. it's true. And the first when we first moved here, that December, we had a week where the lows were in the teens. And that's the yeah. first time in my life that I ever had to worry about pipes freezing. And oh, wow. we have yeah. pipes outside the house. And so I had to be concerned with, well, how's this going to work? And oh my yeah. God, I never thought I'd have to deal with this in the, <laughs> in the desert. But yeah, it, it gets very cold. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, that Crazy. sounds cool. It sounds like you've carved out a, a great little niche there in, uh, in BC. Yeah. yeah. Trying to find a good work-life balance. It's been, that's, I think, one of the big challenges always in this industry, Definitely. but any industry is yeah. work-life balance. And I'm a big, big believer in, you know, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to push out book as many books as I possibly can. Um, it's not a race to a number. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather live my, li- live my good life, um, as much as I possibly can. I think that's a, that's a great approach. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, normally I ask for a few words of wisdom for narrators out there. I feel like you just gave me the best words of wisdom that I can that I can imagine anybody giving anybody in this business. Right. <laughs> Anything in life. else? Any, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else you can uh, you can add to that? No, I think I think always with new narrators, I always say like, get coaching, get coaching, get coaching. Nobody's trying to rook you. We honestly uh, love what we do and love this business and want you to do the best you can in it. And once it's out there, it's out there forever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> get coaching. Um, be a listener, be a listener, be a listener. Um, and practice, meaning like download a script and do an entire book, learn how to do it in your studio, do the whole thing, listen to it back. Don't put it out there because you don't have the rights to, Mm -hmm. but like really take the time, like any profession, any profession you would ever do, take the time, take the time to learn it. And it settles your nervous system, which makes you better at what you do when you're doing something so incredibly vulnerable. Mm, yeah. Mm. Wisdom indeed. That's fantastic. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in today. Where thank can people you. find you if they want to look you up, maybe avail themselves of your coaching practice? I assume that yeah. that your coaching is all virtual at this point yeah. and anybody's yeah. welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so www.aaronmoonactor.com. Um, and there's a bunch of other versions of that that I bought the, <laughs> the sites to, but that's the most common one. So Aaron Moon, AaronMoonActor.com. And on the socials, um, I'm uh, at Mooney Books, M-O-O-N-E-Y Books, um, on kind of all of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for coming in. I hope the uh, the BC you. water was good enough, even though this is a dry <laughs> November for you. I really did enjoy the uh, the Scotch discussion, though. Um, yeah. Some something that I knew nothing about until five or six <laughs> years ago. I guess it was about six years ago, maybe seven, but six, yeah. um, probably six, and uh, and have really enjoyed getting into it. So it's good to yeah. good to hear that from you. I, I look forward to being able to go to some of the distilleries on a trip to Scotland someday. Yes. Um, see if see if that ever works out. But uh, <laughs> in the meantime, my um, my white Negroni, I did have not loved, but uh, I am going to tinker with it a little and give it a, another try or two. 
yeah. and I think I might be able to come up with some uh, some ratios that that work better than uh, than this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Good luck with the, the th three strikes and it's out. That's it, all I got to say, that, Rich. That might happen. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Really appreciate you coming in. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Erin Moon for coming in to chat. I really enjoyed hearing about her journeys, both geographical and through the acting world, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!